From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. In case you weren't paying attention, Todd Golden's team has gotten into a rhythm at the midway point of conference play, taking five of the last six contests going into a Big 12 SEC Challenge matchup that will have the eyes of the college football world fixated on Manhattan. On today's show, we'll welcome FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter and the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, for a roundtable chat about the streaking men's basketball squad, the unlikely opportunity to play against Keontae Johnson, the latest football players dropping in from the portal, Ben Shelton's star-making turn at the Australian Open, and fairy tale endings that came up just a little bit short in the PAT. Then, we'll meet men's basketball associate head coach Corey McRae and discover his path to Gainesville, the experiences that shaped him along the way, and how this life was his destiny from the cradle. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet health care destination, with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. It is roundtable time, and we are joined by our panel of experts, the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, and FloridaGators.com senior writers, Scott Carter and Chris Harry. And Chris, let's start by talking some hoops. A very good week for Todd Golden's team. A very tight win at Mississippi State, followed by a blowout win. Maybe the most fun and the best Florida has been all season against South Carolina. Uh, talk about what stood out to you from these last two games and Florida on a nice little run now in the SEC. Okay, well, obviously they were different to your to your point, and uh, they go on the road and they beat Mississippi State uh, Saturday uh, in a game that goes down to the final possession, play defense and defend, and close out a win on the road. That's significant. Uh, that's also the first uh, quad one win for this team relative to the NCAA evaluation tool. They, they, they've been 0-6 in quad one games. Then you come home, and I know I got a lot of people, and we'll get to this obviously, talk about uh, the games coming up. People like, this is a must win with games coming. It's a must win because it's the next game. And, and I know I sound like a coach by saying it, but when you're 11-8, you got to win games. And South Carolina is some is not a team that's, that's you know, they, they did go into Kentucky and win. Yeah, they were 1-5 coming into Gainesville. Uh, but they went to Kentucky and won a couple weeks ago, so they're certainly capable of coming in here today and beating the, and beating the Gators. Uh, but at the same time, uh, Florida played a Florida stacked a, a, a pretty good offensive game the other day on top of a probably put their best offensive effort uh, Wednesday night against the Gamecocks. Uh, Twenty one assists that was a season high. It beat they had sixteen the other night. That was the, that was the best in an SEC game. They beat that by five. Thirty seven assists in two games. Um, Myron Jones is a guy who came from Penn State, and Lord knows we've talked about uh, him, and hasn't been able to fix his shot for whatever reason. He's fixed everything else in his game. I mean, the guy had nine points tonight, a career-high 10 rebounds, eight assists, and did not turn the ball over in 31 minutes. But now you take what 
the Gators have been able to do of late with Myron Jones uh, and Kyle Lofton basically sharing ball handling duties in the backcourt. Adam, in the last two games, they have 22 assists and no turnovers combined. Obviously, you're going to win a lot of basketball games when you have two fifth-year seniors handling the ball, both playing well over 30 minutes a game, not making any mistakes. So now we look at what those two guys were able to do with Florida's offense. And I say this, and, and there's there's four guys with at least three assists. Uh, Trey Bonham came off the bench, and he's, he can't make a shot to save his life right now, but he had, but he had four assists without turning the ball over. So I give him some credit, too, in embracing what he's doing role-playing-wise. But Castleton, 18 points. Kowasi Reeves, who when we talked last week, was two for 28 in the SEC in three-point shooting. Um, now he's made, uh, let's see here, now he's made five the last two games. So let's kind of assume that he's working his way out of that. That changes that changes things a lot for this team, considering how it was fighting to score points and losing one-possession games. Now you have a guy who's one of your, your best, certainly your microwave kind of guy off the bench who's kind of coming into his own. He gets 15 points. Riley Kugel, the freshman, Again, another guy. He this guy is truly coming into his own career high fourteen point six and nine from the floor. He hit a couple threes since they benched him and gave him a DNP at Auburn and said, uh, "Focus here, because because you're you're not helping us right now. We're not playing you." He has completely changed the his coachability. He's completely changed his performance. On he had one hiccup against Missouri. I think he had a five turnover game against Missouri. But he also made some big offensive plays in that game. So what I'm saying right now, Adam, is that the team is coming together at a very good time. They've won, like I said, they've won five out of six. Haven't beaten a bunch of great teams, but they've they found some kind of a connectivity and a stride just in time to go on what has to be easily the hardest run of four games in by any team in college basketball this season. And people are rolling their eyes. What are you talking about? Well, you haven't done your homework then if you're asking me that because Florida goes to Kansas State and and plays the fifth-ranked team in the country on Saturday. We'll talk about that a little more in a minute, obviously, uh, for obvious reasons. Okay, next week, Tennessee comes in here. They're the fourth-ranked team in the country. They're number one in virtually every defensive metric uh, there is out there. Uh, they play an unranked opponent a couple days later. I'll get back to that in a second. And then finish this four-game stretch against Alabama, which is second-ranked team in the country, and by then maybe the number one-ranked team in the country. Uh, so, by the way, that that game I skipped over—it's a road game at Kentucky, where Florida's won ten times in a hundred years, and they're not ranked right now. So, okay, I'll repeat. So, there's not only uh, three top-five teams in the next four games; it's three road games in the next five games, including a trip to Rupp Arena. Um, we'll know a lot more about this team. You can play. Let's let's face it. You can play really well all four of those games and lose all four of those games, right? They could all, they, and they could come back from that at twelve and twelve. But they'll come back with even if they lose all four of those games, Adam. They'll come back, I believe, with a higher net rating than they go out because those are just brutal and yet very favorable uh, road game uh, numbers that they're going to get on their resume. But if you want to play, let you want to have some serious talk about postseason. They got to win one of those games. If they win two, I think it's house money after that. And but it will also be a sign that this team is actually getting a lot better. Uh, Todd Gold said after the game, um, he wishes he had gone to this Myron Jones, Kyle Lofton kind of thing earlier in the season, and he says that's kind of my fault for 
not figuring out, you know, an extra ball handler on this, but you know, that's what a season's about. I mean, uh, there's not a lot of teams that are the same team in March that they are in November, especially for a first year coach. And after tonight, Todd Golden has now played all five uh, first year coaches in the Southeastern conference guys that are there for their first year. He's five and zero against those teams, those coaches. As far as, uh, as far as storylines go, it's hard to get one much meatier than what we're going to see this weekend uh, when Florida goes to Kansas State, which a year ago probably would have meant very little to anybody. But now that that's where Keontae Johnson is, it's obviously very interesting. Now, I guess you could say this is maybe less intense than it would have been if you still had the previous staff and a lot of his former teammates still around. But there are still a lot of ties between this Florida program and Keontae Johnson. Um, so I'm, I'm sure this is going to be it's going to be interesting. It'll probably be emotional for some. Uh, curious what you guys think about it. Well, I imagine uh, it'll be emotional for Keontae Johnson and his family. If you're looking at the University of Florida side of it, it'll be emotional for, say, the uh, Duke Werner, the trainer, who was by Keontae's side throughout that uh, incredible ordeal there. It'll probably be emotional a little bit for uh, the three players um, that were that were there that day uh, with Keontae. I guess it's actually five if you count the walk-ons, but obviously Colin Castleton, Jason Jatobo, Niles Lane, Jack May, and Alex Klaxke were in the building that day. And, of course, um, uh, Nika and Marca jo- Marcus Johnson, uh, Keontae's parents. Pretty amazing that it was all going to come full circle like this with the kind of year Keontae is having. And of all the years that the Big 12 and, the, and Florida happened to match up, remember this happened – that matchup was set before Keontae decided on going to uh, mm-hmm. Kansas State. So um, this wasn't one of these made-for-TV kind of uh, selections they made. But um, I think like anything else with storylines like this, uh, they'll have that emotion beforehand. I'm sure I'll be kind of emotional too when I see him uh, uh, You know, at uh, in, dur- during pre-game, pre-game warm-ups. I always got along great with both he and his family. Um, once the game starts, it'll be a basketball game. Uh, I, I don't, you know, the fans in Kansas state don't, don't have a lot of connection with that. They certainly know his, his story. It's a remarkable story. And I think ESPN is, is going to tell it in detail in the run up to that game on its on, on game day this week. That, that, uh, that much I do know. Um, but it's funny, uh, uh, when the, when the season started, um, and, I started following a little bit of Kansas State here and there and seeing what was going on. Uh, I talked to a, I talked to, to an administrator here at UF and showed that person a, a, a box score line. Uh, Keontae, I think, one, whatever his game was, say, at 26 points and 10 rebounds and, and you know, a couple assists, a couple blocks. Were in. Kansas State was off to, I believe they started 11-0 or what happened. And that person said to me, you know, if, if Keontae Johnson going to Kansas State and having an incredible season and being an All-American and getting drafted is the worst thing that's going to happen to Florida, then this is a that'll be a fantastic end to the story. I think it's already a, uh, been a successful story for Keontae. We want him to stay healthy. We wish him nothing but the best. And it would be great to see him play well, but you know the Gators are going there with purpose, and I and, and I think Todd Golden will keep that in mind, um, not to let it to get too out of hand. And at the same time, I think the circumstances with this players, these players aren't there. If Noah Locke and 
and Trey Mann and, and Scotty Lewis and those guys were still on this team, then we might be having a different conversation here. But that's certainly not going to be the case. Certainly not this era of the transfer portal. But really happy for Keontae Johnson. Uh, I got to see a full game. I watched that uh, game the other night, the Iowa State game. They lost. He had 15 and 10. He turned the ball over a little bit too much. But I imagine – I imagine he may be pressing a little bit in this game early on, but he'll settle, settle in just like uh, just like uh, the team he's comp- competing against will. I think the situation tightened a little bit too with the Hamlin story with the Buffalo Bills. Just you know, for merging current events here, so it just I think it in that sense it raises more awareness about how delicate we all are and these young athletes can be in these situations. I'm really hoping that this is a celebration of a young man's life that is. Uh, resumed in in a big way a- and a celebration of the work that Duke and the medical team and all those involved did that very night in saving that young man's life and and, and a celebration that way too you know again much much like most of the team the current the current coaching staff for me I'm I'm in this chair calling this game on radio but yet I don't have a connection to that night other than I'm a gator now and um and I'm and again I'm I'm in the mood to to celebrate all the good things that come out of this story and maybe not look back on what probably was a dark night for a lot of people, especially that family. We're all going to be very curious to see how it plays out. And as you noted, Chris, you hope you'd like to see him play well. You also want to see the Gators win. Hopefully all those things can happen. And we'll certainly talk about it next week. Um I want to shift our attention to football because it's another week and and more portal activity. That's kind of the way it goes now. And uh, Scott, Florida continues to get some some big additions, some of them literally very big, but also in numbers, you know, building up from, we talked about a lot of people that left, which left a lot of scholarships open, and kind of systematically here, Napier and his staff are starting to fill those holes. Yeah, you knew that they had to, Adam, after uh, 30 guys leave, there's a lot of room, a lot of scholarships open, and uh, they got a lot of those players into the mix on an early signing day, but they still had several spots. And now they've added nine guys in the transfer portal. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it could still grow uh, maybe a couple more if the right pieces fit over the summer. Uh, as I think everybody knows now, the college football roster in the modern age is going to be fluid throughout the year. So uh, I don't know if uh, – they're finished yet, but the the big uh, news this week is the addition of uh, Keontae. Speaking of another Keontae, yeah, Keontae Goodwin, uh, who was the uh, offensive lineman signed with Kentucky last year, and he was the highest rated recruit that Mark Stoops has ever signed up there. He he was rated the uh, number two offensive tackle in the 2022 class, the number 13th overall player in the country, according to one of the. Uh, recruiting site. So if you look at it from that standpoint, he instantly becomes, I think, the highest rated prospect on the Gators roster going out of high school. But in his only year at Kentucky, he only really uh, got on the field uh, mostly in uh, special teams blocking. So, you know, I, I don't know the story there why he wanted to get out after a year. He's a guy from the Louisville area. Uh, so stayed at home, kind of go over to Lexington, not too far away to play. But now he's uh, going to reboot down here at Florida and uh, I think that's the biggest pickup other than Graham Mertz, uh, the quarterback from Wisconsin that the Gators had in terms of uh, just the name and uh, the guy, what he's done in the past. So, yeah, with him, uh, you got a couple other, uh, Damian George from Alabama, another guy they added on the offensive line. And then, of course, Micah Mascula from Baylor. So right away, they've retooled the offensive line with three guys who we could easily see 
uh, right from the start next season. And I think uh, right now, you know, you just you look at what Billy Napier likes. He loves big offensive linemen. Uh, he signed, I think, 18 now since he got to Florida. And I saw something. I haven't fact-checked this, but just looking at the numbers, it probably is close. They're averaging about 6'6 six, six and 340. So he likes big offensive linemen. You know, the, the idea of an offensive line is that it's got a lot of nice pieces to uh, to block for your skill position, guys. And Scott Florida also added uh, a running back into the mix as well. They added Cameron Carroll from Tulane. He, he's a veteran guy. He, he rushed for over 1,600 yards in his career there. He has one year of eligibility left. And, you know, he kind of got hurt last year early in the season and lost his job. And obviously Tulane went on to have a great season. And he just found it hard to get back into the lineup. So, with Naquan Wright and Lorenzo Lingard uh, choosing the transfer portal uh, route, that left an opening uh, at Florida after they signed Trayon Webb on early signing day to go along with Montreal Johnson Jr. and Trevor Etienne. So they they got also a linebacker out of Houston who's intriguing uh, for really what he did on special teams. This guy blocked uh, two punts and had three block kicks two years ago when national special teams player of the year for a non-specialist so he's a playmaker got into the rotation at linebacker last year for houston and had 46 tackles so another guy who brings some um past experience at the d1 level and again he'll be he'll be thrown into the mix right away so it's obvious what you know they're doing with the transfer portal i mean they they signed a couple of guys like deuce Spurlock who hasn't done much yet in his career and still has four years. But most of these guys are veteran players who, you know, can come in and play right away and and stabilize and hopefully uh, help mentor uh, some of the some of the freshmen. I want to turn our attention to a, a former Gator who is making waves literally on the other side of the world. Uh, and that is Ben Shelton, who earlier, I, I want to say it was a few months ago, announced he was leaving school early to uh, to become a pro. And it seems like he made a good decision. He made it all the way to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. I got to see a lot of it because I'm actually awake after midnight when he was playing. Um, but the, the run did end for him uh, against a fellow American, actually, in the quarterfinals. But uh, obviously a star-making turn that has not just the tennis world, but a lot of the American sports world looking at a, a potential future American tennis star. And it's been a long time since we've had one of those. He's 20 years old, and and in the span of this short time, he's gone from 500-something in the world to 43rd. Uh, wow. What a jump. And, you know, we talk about coaches' sons in other sports and the impact that that has on someone's IQ for that I guess, discipline. I didn't know that it would qualify in tennis the way it certainly has here for Ben. Um, now, look, he's going to do well with that powerful serve. Now, the fact that he's a lefty and and uh, and moves so well. Wait till he learns some of the nuances that the other pros have, you know, acquired over the years, including the opponent he had in the quarters who had been a pro since 15 years old. So he gets a little of those tricks under his belt. And, yeah, he could be really something. What an explosive um, – appearance for him down in Australia the first time that he's ever left the country let alone wow played outside the country uh, it's a remarkable story I, I I'm very excited to to is when he gets back to Gainesville and I think that I'm hoping that UAA here will celebrate him in some way and his accomplishments here in this first Grand Slam of his career so 
look, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'm a, I'm an every once in a while eyeball the tennis scene. Um, but just because he's a Gator, I tuned in and because of his age and, and kind of just coming out of nowhere, it made for a great sports story late at night here for a lot of us over the last week or so. I'm reminded of the story I wrote last year when Ben Shelton won the NCAA championship match. His opponent, his name escapes me. It was a, a player from overseas from the West Coast. Uh, there was a there was a sequence, uh, a back and forth sequence where Ben Shelton, the guy, the guy had him at a position, of, and and Ben Shelton just made this made a return that the guy just kind of stared at him as Ben just turned around. People were applauding. He started walking back to the baseline and he turned around. He goes, why are you staring me down? He yells across the net at the guy and the guy looks back at him. He goes, it was just too good, man. It was that that shot was just too good. This guy is good, man. And he's 20 years old. And to Sean's point, he's just now figuring some things out. He has incredible discipline. He, he has a, a, a father who, got the, to the quarterfinals, I believe, at Wimbledon. So he has bloodlines. Uh, and it just uh, – his temperament on the court, um, his athleticism, his length. I saw him last year uh, training out on the track. Uh, I think he was doing a, like 16 220s in, in freaking July or August, uh, just trying to get conditioned for his new career as a, as a professional. And uh, Sean said, you know, he, he was interested because this guy's a Gator – he said, "We just haven't had a great American tennis player in a while." <laughs> to be let's let you know, let's be honest. So uh, this guy may be the 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 person who gets who gets our country back on the international scene when it comes to when it comes to Grand Slam events. And wouldn't that be a cool cool story? Because I think I think Ben Shelton was made for this stuff. Obviously, he's got a long way to go to get in the conversation with some of these uh, big timers and all. But um, pretty damn good start. To your point, John McEnroe said on the broadcast the other night, Ben had gotten to north of 60 consecutive holds, um, which just blows me away. Mm, and the comment God. that McEnroe made was, that's Sampras-like. And so there's a name that, you know, harkens back to the royalty of American men's tennis. So there, there's the, there's your connection right there. If, if, if he's starting to even be mentioned alongside some of those names, what else do you want? Yeah, a spectacular debut, and I look forward to seeing what he can do, you know, in the U.S. Open or where more people have a chance to see him play live. And let's remember what he what he did here. He was a freshman, and he was he had the clinching match for the program's first ever men's NCAA championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he did that with his dad as a coach, and the next year won the NCAA singles. Only the first, third person to ever do that as a sophomore. Certainly left his mark here, turned pro, and knows, thank you very much for, 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 for coming here. You, you know, and, and the guy is still going to school, taking classes online, has every intention of graduating. So just uh, give it up for this guy. Five-star kid with a five-star father, and they've done remarkable things for this university. Yeah, we had a chance to talk to both Brian Shelton and later Ben Shelton during that championship run. Um, again, great pedigree. A very special family, and Ben looks like he's on his way to doing some remarkable things. Uh, I want to turn our attention now to our PAT, which was inspired by a fairy tale ending that wasn't. I think so much of the country was behind the Buffalo Bills, even before DeMar Hamlin. I mean, 
I would just like to see the Bills win as someone who understands long-suffering uh, professional sports legacies. But knowing what Buffalo went through in the early 90s and how close they've come to trying to get back to getting that opportunity, uh, I was rooting for them to make it all the way to the Super Bowl. I was last year as well. Um, and I think this year they obviously had that extra push because the DeMar Hamlin story became so uniting across not just American sports, but really just American culture. Um, and that fairy tale is not going to have the ending that so many of us hoped it would. Um, they were pretty thoroughly dominated by the Bengals this past weekend. Not even that competitive of a game, uh, remarkably, since it was in the snow and, and in Buffalo. But it got me thinking about other fairy tale endings that weren't. A story that had all the makings of the Hollywood finish that, for whatever reason, did not get to the finish line. So I'm not sure if it's ones you guys have, have witnessed personally or tied to a game that you covered or just one you've observed from afar, but curious what uh, what that brings to the top of your mind. I'll, I'll throw one out there to get the conversation started. I I thought that whether you like Duke University or not, or you are a Mike Krzyzewski hater or lover, um, in some ways, I thought that Duke might be on their way to winning it all last year, whether it be the ACC or maybe even eventually the whole thing uh, in Mike Krzyzewski's final season as the head coach of Duke University. And it did not happen. Got themselves in, in good position with the ACC. Virginia Tech stole that spotlight winning that tournament and had that hot run into the tournament. And then lo and behold, North Carolina of all teams steals the spotlight from Duke <laughs> University in the national championship uh, or the men's tournament. So the Mike Krzyzewski fairy tale ending uh, was not to be. That's kind of a real recent one, maybe not as dramatic as my counterparts will have here, but at least that's one to kick off the conversation. Yeah, and, and to lose to North Carolina, and I guess that was a subpar North Carolina season up until that uh, NSA tournament run, if I'm not mistaken. So I got a couple that kind of uh, more along the lines of, of DeMar Hamlin that had more tragic endings. I mean, I remember personally as a, as a Washington football fan that the, when, Sean Taylor, when Sean Taylor was murdered in 2007, the team wasn't very good and made a run into the, into the playoffs that year. Ultimately, ended up uh, uh, they 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 clinched the la the playoffs on the last. It was a Sunday night, the last game of the season, at home, and I believe it was against it was either the Cowboys or the Eagles. I want to I want to say it was the Cowboys, and they won the game by twenty one points, which was the number Sean Kaler wore on the back of his jersey, and it was just kind of cool how that all came about. But I'm going to go back a little further with, uh, than that. And, and of course, you could name stuff like, you know, George Mason going on Final Four, uh, uh, Gators like beaten by 100 points or whatever that was. Or uh, who else was it? Uh, you know, Butler would have been a pretty interesting story. The, 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 the NSA tournament kind of kind of uh, uh, lends itself Mr. more Gene. to that. Yeah, yeah. BCU Loyola Chicago. BCU and Shaka Spartans. Loyola Chicago. But one, the one team I remember that was so much fun to watch was Loyola Marymount in 1989. And obviously, uh, Hank Gathers uh, died in the West Coast Conference tournament um, on, I believe, I believe it was the first week in March in front of everybody. I don't think they finished, I, I don't remember if they finished that game or if they finished the tournament or what happened. But lo and behold, with Bo Kimball shooting free throws left handed and making them, they went on this incredible run uh, all the way to the, uh, uh, to the, to the Elite Eight of the, of the West Regional. Um, and along the way, I think they scored 150 points against Michigan, who was the defending national champion. I want to say it was 149 to 150. They just absolutely 
uh, uh, boat race that uh, that team with Ramil Robinson, if I'm not mistaken, and 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 a couple other guys on that team. But there was a a guy who a uh, six uh, six shooting guard by the name of Jeff Fryer. There was Bo Kimball. It was just a really fun uh, a team to watch. That was coached by, coached by Paul Westhead, who was Magic Johnson's first first coach in the NBA. And it just ended, and it it ended how you might expect when they came up against a UNLV team that was just on a rampage uh, with, with all those dudes, Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogden, all those guys ended up beating them, I think by 30 points, but it was a Cinderella kind of moment. Fun to watch. A lot of times those things uh, just don't, you know, materialize because, you know, Cinderella can only take you so far for dong, dong, the midnight, the the striking of the clock or whatever. So uh, those are the ones that come to my mind, but, I'm sure Scott's going to, as John Gruden said, get all deep and philosophical right here, aren't you, aren't, aren't you Scott? No, no, I'm not. I figured the NCAA term would be heavy in this conversation. But also, you know, like players at the end of their careers, I still remember, uh, you know, Dan Marino hadn't won the Super Bowl, and it was 1999, and uh, he was, you know, it was his last year, and they're playing the Jaguars in the, in the playoffs. At his first uh, – you know, his last chance, what they lose, 61 to 7, supply like 62, 62 to 7, yeah. I just, I just recently heard this story a few weeks ago. I, I had no idea this is how Marino's career ended until I was watching the Jags-Chargers game and one of my Dolphin friends was, was talking about the last time the Jags broke someone's heart like this. And the same way Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson's career ended that night, too. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. Great coach to uh, the Cowboys in college, obviously. And then that one kind of came to my mind the other night watching Brady. If that was his last game, I mean, it was just a really bad performance by the team and a very disappointing loss. But the, a fairy, this one doesn't even include a game. It's just a, probably, to me, one of the saddest fairy tale or possible fairy tales that ended very sad was the story of Ernie Davis. I mean, you know, he played at Syracuse behind Jim Brown. He, he's the first African-American to win the Heisman Trophy. Then he gets drafted by the Washington Redskins, number one overall, is immediately traded to Cleveland, where suddenly his mentor is going to be his college mentor, Jim Brown. They're going to have the greatest backfield in the history of the NFL. And, of course, we all know how the story ends, sadly. He uh, discovers he's got leukemia shortly after that and passed away before ever playing. But I recently saw that movie. It's been a couple of years, The Express. The Express, was, yeah, it's good. Yeah, about him. I mean, to me, that's like the all-timer, you know. It's just like, man, wonder what uh, what, what he could have been. That would have been, you know, just uh, great to see him and Jim Brown. Before my time, obviously, but it still resonates all these years later. But, yeah, there's a lot of them. You know, Willie Mays getting traded to the Mets his final season. Back to New York where he started his career with the Giants. They lose to A's in the World Series, and Willie suddenly looks his age, and uh, that's the last we saw of him. So uh, I think sports will always provide these kind of moments. But the best thing about the DeMar Hamlin story is he's alive, and hopefully, uh, who knows, maybe we'll see him one day again. Interesting note on the uh, the Ernie Davis thing there, Scott. My grandpa actually was one of the radiologists who worked on him way back in the day. Huh. Who, who knew? It, you can't plan it this way. It ties all the way back around. Um, one thought I had from a Gator perspective is just basically the 09 football season. The idea that Florida was going to, Tebow came back, was going to go undefeated for the first time ever, win a national championship, do it at the Rose Bowl. I mean, that was the story everybody just expected to play out. And it, it sort of followed that until the SEC championship game. And, uh, 
Alabama and Nick Saban. That's the day the dynasty truly began. And that was the last Florida one I could think about where you were expecting it to go a certain way and then it, it didn't. There's nothing Cinderella about a team being number one all year and losing. But it's not – I didn't say with the, Cinderella. With the Heisman Trophy winner. But it's not Cinderella. It's 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 fairy tale. It's fairy Awful tale. Awful example. Awful. Awful. Someone help me. Someone help me. No one wants to help me? Well, you know, it's, it's, I, I just enjoy the back and forth. It doesn't have to be a fair – listen, the Buffalo Bills are – one of the most talented teams in the NFL. It's not like they were a, you know, the sub 500 bucks making a run. So you could be great and still have a fairy tale storyline, right? Well, what no. about what about the fairy tale that we're rooting against like LeBron James's super team with the Miami Heat? Not one, not two. <laughs> that never <laughs> really <laughs> came to fruition. Yeah. Making mm. me one very happy NBA fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh due to lack of support for my position. We'll go ahead and we'll, we'll call it there. Uh, but thank you guys for sharing your stories. As always, thank you for all the information. A lot going on in Gator Nation this week. These are the guys to follow to see on top of it. So gentlemen, thank you so much and we'll talk to you next week. Bye guys. Go Gators. Some coaches have no idea early in their journey that life will lead them to the sidelines, but others are following a destiny that they never denied. In his first year as an associate head coach for the men's basketball team, Corey McRae brings a wealth of high major experience, with 12 years working for programs like UCLA and Mississippi State. So when the Gators went to Starkville last weekend, it wasn't a surprise who would handle the scouting and preparation. And after Florida escaped with a tight win, everyone wanted to know what the return was like for the man who spent the previous seven years on that same hardwood. Well, everybody was asking, you know, how was it weird for me? And, and to me, everything was normal. It was kind of, um, but what really was like really weird for me is when after we came out of the uh, the tunnel for our last meeting with the guys and I sat down on, the, you know, our bench being an opposing coach on that bench. That's when I was like, wow, this is kind of feel a little weird because I'm so used to being on the other side. Uh but it was a great, great win. Our guys played well. We shot the ball well. We made 10 threes in that game. So I was very proud of our guys. I was hoping you were going to say that you accidentally sat down on the wrong bench. I mean, <laughs> did you did you maybe make a move that direction and catch yourself, or were you were you locked in? I was locked in. I was locked in, ready to go. But when I actually sat down for the tip for the first time, that's when it was like, whoa, you know, like it kind of hit me. Like, I'm used to being on the other side. So, uh, obviously, given your familiarity with uh, with the, the guys you just left over there, you were responsible for this scout. Um, right. And, and for, for fans that don't know what goes into this, what is that process like? Because I know that that's a huge part of what assistants do for right. basketball. It's, it's a rotation. How does What is that process like for you? So, when it's your scout, basically, you're breaking down all the things that the opponent does and having you, you're responsible for having your team ready for everything they do offensively, everything they do defensively. And also you have to know uh, the players and what they're, what they tend to do, whether they drive, whether they shoot, whether they're excellent defenders or excellent slashers to the hoop. You just got to be responsible for personnel along with offense and defense. 
So when when that plan comes together, because you know this is a the one game at a time mentality has to take hold for the team and the guys especially. How much right. time do you have to get that information about this particular opponent into their heads, and and what's the most effective way to make it stick? Because it, it sometimes it can come so so fast and furious. Right with the SEC schedule, so uh, we play either Tuesday or Wednesday, or we play Saturday. So. We have Thursday, Friday to prepare for Saturday games and usually Sunday or just Monday uh, to prepare for Tuesday and Wednesday games. So uh, usually in practice, you you start going over there at the keys and the personnel of your opponent. And then you'll go over their plays and practice. And you have really roughly two days to prepare for each opponent. How much time goes into a scout? Maybe this one was different because you have all that pre-existing knowledge, but in general, you know, what is that? What does it look like as you lay that out? I mean, is it just X number of hours of film, what, what, yeah. you know, pouring over stats? What does that look like? Yeah, hours, hours of just research and, and, and just uh, breaking down film and just breaking down personnel. Uh, hours of your time goes into preparing the team for the next opponent. Um, and this was uh, definitely no different from any other scout because even though I coached uh, five guys on their roster at Mississippi State. Uh, coach Jans is a really good coach, and he runs a system that I wasn't familiar with. So I really had to study him and um, get familiar with it so I could relay everything to the guys. And what makes you a really good coach and assistant coach in this league is the the great minds that are in this league. So it's great head coaches, great coaches in this league. And so you're studying them. So I'm learning a lot about each uh, uh, scout, I'm learning a lot about their head coach and how they think and then what they like to do and mm-hmm. what makes them successful. Yeah. yeah. So after the, the final horn sounds, I know it was it was a very stressful finish there. Um, yeah. But once once it's over and you're walking through the handshake line, um, you, know, you talk about the five guys that, that you had relationships yeah. with there. What's that like seeing them once it's all over? Do you feel I, you're happy, but you also... Is there a sense of do you feel some guilt that you've now caused these guys you like to to lose a game? No, I, I'm definitely happy. Um, I don't um, I don't feel good for them, even mm. though I feel good for myself and our we, and our team and our team. It was a great road win for us, a quad one road win, and so I feel great for us and Gator Nation. Uh, but I did I know those guys are hurting, and I know those guys. Uh, love to compete and they're they're good kids good young men so I definitely felt bad for them and I wish them luck the rest of the way crazy business right it's crazy business yep. um <laughs> I want to roll things back let's go back to the beginning for you and I want to flesh out more of your story here um can you tell us a little bit about your family where you grew up sort of the the very early years for you okay I grew up in Decatur Georgia is uh, a suburb that's probably 10 to 15 minutes from downtown Atlanta uh, my dad, uh, was my coach. So I'm a coach's son. So I've been doing this playing basketball since five years old and talking basketball my whole life. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up with, um, uh, a very, very intelligent, smart sister. It was just me and her and my, my parents. Uh, my sister is a professor at Yale currently right now. Wow. So she's very, very, very smart, bright, um, sister. And, uh, one thing my family loves is is, is sports, uh, especially basketball. My mom played a little ball, basketball in college and uh, academics. That's that's something that I was raised and was 
that was instilled in me. And I uh, went to Cedar Grove High School, won a state championship there my senior year. Left Cedar Grove uh, High School and went to Mercer University, mm-hmm. where um, I um, played and was a leader on that team um, all four years at Mercer. And I uh, left there, went to the enemy, Florida State, for grad That's right. school. That's right. <laughs> and from there, uh, Chipola Junior College, coached with the Atlanta Celtics program, is a, a AAU program that my father started in 1990. Coached at uh, Mercer University, it was my first assistant coaching job in um, my alma mater, um, and then I left there, back to the Celtics, to UCLA with Ben Howland, LSU for one year, uh, back to um, back to the SEC, to Mississippi State with Ben Howland when he got the job, the head coaching job at Mississippi State, was there for seven years, and now I'm happy to be a Gator. Yeah, it's, it's funny, whenever I talk to assistants, especially in basketball, where there's so many stops along the way, yeah. do you ever, are, are, are you reading from a uh, from a, a note card there, or can you keep all of those straight automatically uh, in your head? It. Yeah, the, I got it. This, and the, or, I, I would almost think the order I might mess up at the very least. Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> no note card needed. <laughs> yep. So you talked about basketball being a, a huge thing in your family. You know, for some people they maybe they turn away from that, right? That's something that their their parents are into, but it's not what they want. How right. early on did you lock into, not only is this something that's big for my family, it's important to my dad, but it's right. important to me and something that I want to pursue. Oh, at, at a young age, I love competing. I love playing. Uh, I love the game. Um, my parents were, in, were into sports. So I obviously I was into sports um, and I talked to, Talk the game with my dad so many days, so many mm-hmm. years. Just he was a coach, so he had to go pick up players, and we would talk in the car. So we would talk after the game. So I mean, this is something I've been doing my whole life. I feel like I'm I'm born to teach because uh, uh, coaching is teaching and um, and leading, and so I think that's what I'm I'm doing. What I'm called to do in life. So I feel like a lot of guys I talk to that are in your position, they at least they they made an attempt to continue playing after college. And if the NBA right. wasn't there, they went overseas for a little bit and they went that route. But you went straight into coaching. So what was it that told you your path was immediately to get on the bench as opposed to trying to continue the dream of of being a player at the next level? Right. Well, all players, we all des- desire to play at the highest level. And of course, that was one of my dreams uh, to play in the NBA or play basketball for money. Unfortunately, uh, I wasn't good enough to do that. Uh, <laughs> and so it was pretty obvious that um, I was going to play basketball as long as I could play basketball. And after that, I was going to get into coaching. That's always been my mindset and my goal. Was that humbling for it? Was that something that you talked about with your dad? Like, it seems like you had a pretty good sense of self to know it was time to, to turn the page on. Most guys, I feel like maybe they, they don't, you know, they're not humble enough to accept that immediately. So right. what was it? Right. What was it that told you? I mean, you had a lot of success as a player. How did you get to that conclusion so quickly? Well, I wasn't putting up the numbers to say I could make it to the NBA in Mercer. You know what I mean? I was solid. I was a four year starter. But I didn't have great numbers, so it was obvious to me and that I, you know my next step would would be to get in coaching. 
You mentioned uh, starting out your career with the enemy. I'm curious, uh, way back then when you were at FSU, did you ever think yeah. that you would be uh, would be doing an interview with the uh, with the, the Gator podcast here today? I did not, because I grew <laughs> up in Georgia, so you know I, I watched a lot of Georgia football. Man, yeah. and I go to grad school at Florida State, so I would have never thought that I would uh, turn on the Seminoles and the Bulldogs like I do. Um, I'm definitely ha- so happy to be here. Uh, and be a gator you talked about all of the uh the steps that you've taken and, and there was a chipotle junior college and you talked about the atlanta celtics as well as you've gone through your career and you've had all these different stops and at different levels what has guided you through that like what is what, what what's your roadmap how have you decided what the right move is to make when based on what um based on feel and you know opportunity like for example like Florida is an amazing opportunity. Like I had a couple other opportunities, a couple other jobs lined up. But when I talked to Todd Golden and listened to his plan uh, of what he wanted to do here at the University of Florida, I accepted the job on the spot. Mm-hmm. And I already had, you know, a couple other things that um, I was looking at that I had that I could I could go to after leaving Mississippi State. So usually is the is the leadership of the head coach was helped me guide um, and help me make decisions based on who I want to work for and who I want to learn from, because mm. you, I, I, I've been fortunate to work for some great guys, but, you know, I really want to learn. I'm learning a lot from coach golden. Um, and I've learned a whole lot from Ben Howland that I, I spent uh, nine years working for. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to ask you about both of them, those relationships. We'll start with, with coach Howland. Um okay. What what impact did he have on your life? You spent so much time with him. He was a guy who, you know, at one point took UCLA to a Final Four. I mean, a lot of success. Right. What did you take right. away from that relationship over the years? Uh, I really respect his leadership style. Um, I really he really believed in me, and he watched me grow as a coach. Um, at UCLA, I had specific uh, things that he wanted me to do. He wanted me to come in there. He wanted me to recruit. When I got to um, work for him at Mississippi State, he wanted me to recruit, but he also wanted me to develop as a, a really good coach. And he gave me more responsibility for his coaching with the offense and with the defense and in-game uh, adjustments and stuff like that. So I really grew as a coach uh, while I was in the SEC. And so um, I owe him a lot. I'm very thankful for the opportunity he gave me because basically I went from Mercer, uh, Chipola. And uh, the Atlanta Celtics to UCLA. That was a huge jump for me. Yeah. And he believed in me um, as a person. And I'm very thankful for the opportunity he gave me. You mentioned the opportunity to to learn from Coach Golden, to work with him and, and accepting that job on the spot. Right. What? Where did the relationship start? How did you did you have exposure to him prior to this or was this kind of a a random match that was made? Uh, kind of a random match. I mean, we knew mutual people. Um, so uh, David Patrick, who's the head coach at Sacramento, Sacramento State, uh, coached him at St. Mary's. And I worked with David Patrick at, uh, at LSU. And so we had a good relationship. And so that's how we really got connected. Uh, of course, Coach Holland uh, talked to Coach Golden about me and some local uh, guys in the area, you know, spoke highly of me as well to Coach Golden. Mm. 
as you guys have worked through your, your first year here, your transition years are always tough. You're trying to establish, you know, a new culture, new identity. Right. What, what have been the biggest things from a staff standpoint as you've kind of molded this program to being your program? What right. does that look like tangibly? I think we came in with the right mindset. I think Coach Golden uh, is a very smart guy and analytical guy. And we pretty much broken down this uh, program where we want to bring in really smart guys that can uh, that are all around good players, not just athletes, not just shooters, but that can pass, shoot, think, dribble, just do it all. And um, that's what we've been focusing on with recruiting moving forward. And I think, you know, he's adjusting to the SEC. I think he's very familiar with it now being in the league and the athletes in this league and the athleticism and just the talent, the pros that are in this league every single year. So I think, um, you know, I feel like we're going to do finish strong this year. I mean, hopefully, you know, our goal is to get to the NCAA tournament. We're right there on the bubble right now. And so we're going to finish strong um, as a unit, as a team. And I think we're going to continue to build on this every single year. You know, we, we've heard a lot in, since Coach Golden arrived about analytics. It's something we talked to him about uh, earlier this year. Um, what does that mean to you? In, in terms of your experience prior to this and now this philosophy, how right. are analytics being incorporated into the work that you're doing, maybe right. in, a, in a different way than you had experienced right. before? Right. For, for the most part, like, if, for example, if I go recruit uh, a high school uh, uh, young man or uh, transfer from another college, I would turn on the film. I would look at the basic stats, you know, his three-point percentage, his, his field goal percentage. Um, and I would just trust my eyes and what I see, you know, based on his percentages. We go a little deeper than that. We look at his percentages versus top, if, if it's a transfer, top 50, uh, 50 uh, teams in the, in the country. Mm-hmm. What's his percentage against the top 50? What's his percentage against the top 100? Uh, what's his usage rate? How much, how much, how much does he have the ball in his hand and what does he do with it? Um, so we just break it down to a, a different, a higher level than I um, normally have done it in the past. And this is something that's going to help me grow as a coach as well. We've talked a lot of basketball. Um, stepping outside of that, I know free time is not something coaches have much of, but when yep. you do have some free time, what are some things you enjoy doing? Well, I have a, a beautiful two-year-old daughter, mm-hmm. And a six month son now wow, and a okay. beautiful wife at home. So I like to do things with the family. Um, I like to go to the park, uh, walk. Uh, we walk around the neighborhood. We watch a, a kid's movie or something or go to dinner. Uh, but I, I love spending family time uh, and having family time away from basketball. And that's one fortunate thing about being in Gainesville is a lot of things to do in Florida and also in Gainesville with your family. Um, so we're, we're very thankful of being here. Hmm. Uh, so I was reading more about your background and your bio. Uh, you, your degree was in theater arts. Is that correct? Right. Yes. Did Communication, you, theater and arts. Tell me, is, is this, I mean, were you going to, were you going to be a Broadway guy? Like, tell me what, what does that mean? Well, no, I always wanted to be a coach, but coach, so I, 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 um, knew I was going to do communication, but I enjoyed, uh, uh, doing the theater parts, uh, with uh, plays and films and stuff like that. That was so much fun. Uh, one time I uh, 
came up with a, a Jerry Springer show that we had to react in class. That was so much fun. Um, but uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, but no, definitely communications because I, I just felt like I need that in coaching. Okay. So theater, you, you, you weren't like, you weren't like a, 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 an actor at any point. No, never was okay. an actor. Even though I really enjoyed acting, I did it, in, uh, did it in high school, uh, you know, plays and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I did plays and stuff in college. Uh, where my where my uh, the lead professor under the uh, program wanted me to be in the school plays and stuff like, but I couldn't do it because of basketball. It didn't mm -hmm. it, it just didn't work with our schedule. Well, Corey, listen, thank you so much for your time. We're glad to have you here in Gator Nation, and good luck the rest of the year. All right, thank you so much. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.